Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Indiana, known as the crossroads of America, it is home to charming small towns, rolling farmlands, and an undeniable basketball spirit. Go Hoosiers. But a world of ghostly mysteries and spine-chilling tales is hidden beneath the surface. Indiana reveals its spooky side as the chilly autumn air sweeps through cornfields and moonlight illuminates old brick buildings. Apparitions wander and whisper from beyond, sending chills down your spine. Join me as I visit the Hoosier State and explore its otherworldly stories. Here, history intertwines with the supernatural making it impossible to separate fact from folklore. Today we're going to visit Potato Creek State Park, what is arguably the most haunted state park in all of the United States. I feel like I have said this before on this show, about other state parks. But what can I say? I like state parks, and a lot of states boast about how haunted their park is. I only report it. If you've visited one or a few of these parks and have first-hand experience, reach out to me. I'd love to hear about it. We go from haunted trails to demonic possessions. It turns out, one of the most well-documented cases of demonic possession in the world occurred in good old Indiana. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Potato Creek State Park, tucked away in the beautiful scenery of Indiana, is celebrated for its gorgeousness and mysterious tales. Tourists may hear rumors of extraordinary events and spiritual visions throughout their journeys in the park's tranquil paths. Potato Creek State Park has a lake, which is said to have caused the deaths of several children over the years. 
Their spirits are said to linger, manifesting as apparitions of young boys and girls in outdated clothing playing along the shoreline or even paddling boats during the twilight hours. The lake has been the site of eerie sensations, disembodied laughter, and the appearance of small handprints on boats and dock posts. Some claim to have witnessed ghostly figures disappear beneath the water's surface, trapped forever in a spectral loop of their final moments. These stories remind us of the park's tragic past, invoking a combination of sorrow, curiosity, and fascination. A number of ghostly encounters have taken place in Potato Creek State Park's wooded trails with their dense foliage and secluded ambiance. Several hikers and campers have heard voices and whispers, footsteps and faint cries echoing through the forest. Some have felt like they were being watched or followed, as if unidentified entities lurked among the trees. It is said that a ghostly figure appears deep in the woods as the Whispering Woman. It has been reported that witnesses encountered a spectral woman dressed in white, whose whispering voice seemed to echo through the air, sending shivers down their spines and probably pee pee down their legs. Old Potato Creek Inn, a century-old structure that is now a museum, has witnessed a myriad of strange occurrences as a testament to its rich history and, according to some, its paranormal activity. Visitors have reported disembodied voices, unexplainable footsteps, and shadowy figures in the museum. It has been reported that a ghostly apparition of another woman, in a flowing gown, believed to be the spirit of a former innkeeper, appears in dimly lit hallways or near the fireplace, emitting a sense of otherworldly energy. Her spectral presence has been described as causing sadness or despair, as if a lingering tragedy resides within. Potato Creek State Park is renowned for its natural beauty and serene atmosphere, yet it also harbors countless tales of supernatural lore. Such captivating stories remind us of the richness of folklore surrounding this exquisite park, both its beautiful physical features and mysterious air. Whether one is open to the belief in the paranormal or not, Potato Creek holds a special place in people's hearts. When I was doing my research for Indiana, there were so many stories to touch on that I really didn't know where to begin. Obviously, I love state parks, and so I'll talk about those every time I see a story about them. They're suspicious to me. It can't be a coincidence that there's always paranormal reports that take place in state parks. Okay, I'll save you guys from putting on your tinfoil hats, but something's going on there. I had a listener reach out to me and suggest some really great stuff, which is exactly the reason why I'm going state to state. To get stories from you guys. Stories that people won't know unless you're a local and grew up hearing these tales. Rick, if you're listening, thank you for the kind email and the suggestions. The Corsley Monster and the Witch Diggers were great suggestions for this episode. The Witch Diggers are something that I am probably going to make its own episode about. There is a lot to unpack there, and I really want to do it justice. Also, reading about them inspired me to get to work on a witch story that I'm really going to combo with. So, again, thank you, Rick. For the inspiration. But there was a story during my research that stopped me in my tracks, and one I had to share. The story of the Amons family and the Demon House. Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. 
Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. It was in November of 2011 when LaToya Amons, her mother Rosa Campbell, and her three children, then ages 7, 9, and 12, moved into the house at 3860 Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. Rosa reported having heard footsteps and doors creaking in the basement almost immediately after moving in. No big deal. Gotta get used to the sounds of a new house. Following this, she witnessed a shadowy figure of a man pacing in the living room and discovered a mysterious boot print. Okay, that's a little harder to explain. Additionally, she asserted to having been strangled by an unidentified entity. Okay, time to pack it up. Moreover, Latoya's 12-year-old daughter was rumored to have floated above her bed with no recollection during a sleepover with a friend. Similarly, the elder son was hurled across the room by an unknown force while the younger son was claiming to have been demonstrating unusual behavior, eyes rolling to the back of his head, while growling threateningly saying, it's time to die, and I will kill you. Oh, boys will be boys. They contacted their physician, and he was consulted by the family on April 19th of 2012. He noted their behavior as delusional, when he visited the house during a supposed haunting. After the police arrived, the children were taken to the hospital. According to the report, the older boy acted rationally, while the younger boy screamed and thrashed. In 2012, the Department of Child Services contacted police captain Charles Austin with reports that the family's children seemed to be executing stunts for their mom. National media outlets like the New York Daily News further claimed that DCS officers had seen the youngest boy walking backwards up a wall. The Indianapolis Star also printed a photograph that supposedly revealed a shadowy figure when no one was in the house. Austin concluded that paranormal activity must be taking place. A family member hired Father Michael Maganat to perform an exorcism. The family was interviewed by him on April 22, 2012, and he concluded that they were being tortured by demons. He eventually performed three exorcisms, two in English and one in Latin. After that, the Amons family moved from Gary to Indianapolis in 2012, and the event stopped. 
from the pages of the Indianapolis Star, January 25th, 2014. Gary Police Captain Charles Austin said it was the strangest story he had ever heard. Austin, a 36-year veteran of the Gary Police Department, said he initially thought that Gary resident Latoya Amons and her family concocted an elaborate tale as a way to make money. But after several visits to their home and interviews with witnesses, Austin said simply, I am a believer. Not everyone involved with the family was inclined to believe its incredible story. And many people will find Amon's supernatural claims impossible to accept. But whatever the cause of the creepy occurrence that befell the family, whether they were seized by a systematic delusion or demonic possession, it led to one of the most unusual cases ever handled by the Department of Child Services. Many of the events are detailed in nearly 800 pages of official records obtained by the Indianapolis Star and recounted in more than a dozen interviews with police, DCS personnel, psychologists, family members, and a Catholic priest. Amons, who swears by her story, has been unusually open. While she spoke on condition her children not to be interviewed or named, she signed releases letting the Star review medical, psychological, and official records that are not open to the public and not always flattering. Furthermore, the family story is made only more bizarre because it involves a DCS intervention, a string of psychological evaluations, a police investigation, and ultimately, a series of exorcisms. It's a tale, they say, that started with flies. In November of 2011, the Amons family moved into a rental house on Carolina Street in Gary a quiet lane lined with small one-story homes. Big black horseflies suddenly swarmed their screened-in porch in December, despite the winter chill. Now, if anyone deals with flies during the spring, as I know I do, all the bushes around my house for some reason are like catnip to flies, and my front porch is swarmed constantly, but there's no demons unless you count my infant. But she, no, she's a good girl. Um, if anyone does deal with that, though, Amazon sells this fly catcher bag. It's, it's unbelievable, but it stinks to high holy heaven. Anyway, what I'm getting at is, this is not normal. And Eamon's mother, Rosa Campbell, agreed. She said, we killed them and killed them and killed them, but they kept coming back. There were other strange happenings, too. After midnight, Campbell and Amons both said they occasionally heard a steady clump of footsteps climbing the basement stairs and the creak of the door opening between the basement and the kitchen, but no one was ever there. Even after they locked the door, the noise continued. Campbell said she woke up one night and saw a shadowy figure of a man pacing her living room. She leaped out of bed to investigate and found large, wet boot prints. On March 10th, 2012, Campbell said the family's unease turned into fear. It was about 2 a.m. Normally, Campbell, Amons, and her children would have been asleep, but they were mourning the death of a loved one with a group of friends. Amons, who was in Campbell's bedroom, startled everyone by screaming, Mama! Mama! Campbell said she ran into her bedroom, where then her 12-year-old granddaughter and friend were staying. Amons and Campbell said the 12-year-old was levitating above the bed, unconscious. 
According to their account of the event, Amons and several others surrounded the girl, and they prayed. Campbell says she remembers being terrified. I thought, what's going on, Campbell said. Why is this happening? Eventually, Campbell said her granddaughter descended onto the bed slowly. The girl woke up with no memory of what happened. Campbell and Amon said that the people who were visiting that night, they refused to return. I can't really blame them. Campbell says she remembers telling her daughter, we need help. We need to talk to someone who knows how to deal with this. Campbell and Eamon said they didn't know exactly what it was, but they believed it was something supernatural. No kidding. They called local churches, but most of them refused to listen. Eventually, after listening to Campbell and Eamon's talk about the house and visiting it, officials at one church told them that the Carolina Street house had spirits in it. They recommended the family clean the home with bleach and ammonia and use oil to draw crosses on every door and window. At the church's suggestion, Amos said she poured olive oil on her three children's hands and feet, then smeared oil in the shape of crosses on their foreheads. Campbell and Amons also told the Star that they reached out to two clairvoyants who said the family's home was besieged by more than 200 demons. The best thing you could do is move, Amons remembers the clairvoyant telling her, but moving wasn't an option for the cash-strapped family. Instead, Amons said she took the clairvoyant's advice and made an altar in the basement. Amons covered an end table with a white sheet, then placed a white candle and a statue of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus on it. She opened the Bible to Psalms 91. She said her and another person donned white t-shirts and wound white scarves around their heads. Also on a clairvoyant's advice, they burned sage and sulfur throughout the house, starting upstairs and working their way down. The smoke was so thick at one point they could hardly breathe. Amons drew a cross with the smoke and the person said she was to read Psalms 91 aloud as they moved through the house. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Amon said nothing odd happened for three days. Then things got worse. The family said demons possessed Amon's and her children. The kids' eyes bulge. Evil smiles crossed their faces, and their voices deepened every time it happened. Campbell said that the demons didn't affect her because she was born with protection from evil. She said she and others like her have a guardian who protects them. Amos said she felt weak, lightheaded, and warm when she was possessed. Her body shook, and she said she felt out of control. You could tell it's different. Something supernatural, she said. The youngest boy, then seven, sat in a closet talking to a boy that no one else could see. Her son told her that the other boy was describing what it felt like to be killed. Campbell said the seven-year-old once flew out of the bathroom as if he'd been thrown, and a headboard once smacked into Amons' daughter, causing a wound that needed stitches. The 12-year-old would later tell mental health professionals that she sometimes felt as if she were being choked and held down so she couldn't speak or move. She said she heard a voice say she'd never see her family again and she wouldn't live for another 20 minutes each time it happened. Some nights were so bad that the family slept at a hotel. Finally, in desperation, they went to their family physician. On April 19th, 2012, Amos said she told him what they were going through, hoping he might understand. He only replied with one word, bizarre. 
20 years, and I've never heard anything like this in my life, he said. I was scared when I walked into that room. He would not speak in more detail unless Amons had psychiatric clearance for the waiver of confidentiality she had signed. In his medical notes about the visit, he wrote delusions of ghost in home and hallucinations. He also wrote history of ghost at home and delusional. What Amons and Campbell say happened next was also detailed in the DCS report of a family's case manager interviews with medical staff. He walked up the wall, flipped over her, and stood there, Campbell said to Amon's son as he was cursing the physician in demonic voices, raging at him. Medical staff said the youngest boy was lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him, according to an official DCS report. The boys abruptly passed out and wouldn't come to, Campbell added. She cradled one of the boys in her arms, and Amon's held the other. Someone from the doctor's office called 911. The physician said that seven or eight police officers and multiple ambulances showed up. Everybody was... they couldn't figure out exactly what was happening, he recalled. Police and emergency personnel took the boys to Methodist Hospital's Gary campus. Amon said hospital personnel laughed at her desire to anoint her sons in olive oil. I couldn't talk to them, she said, so I talked to God. The boys woke up in the hospital. The older boy, then nine, acted rationally. But the youngest screamed and thrashed, Campbell said. She said it took five grown men to hold the boy down. Meanwhile, someone called DCS and asked for the agency to investigate Amons for possible child abuse or neglect. The caller, who was not named in the DCS report, speculated that Amons might have a mental illness. The person believed that the children were performing for Amons, and she was encouraging their behavior. DCS family case manager Valerie Washington was asked to handle the initial investigation. She gave the following account to police in her intake officer's report. Hospital personnel examined Amons and her children and found them to be healthy and free of marks or bruises. A hospital psychiatrist evaluated Amons and determined she was of sound mind. Washington interviewed the family in the hospital. While she spoke with Amons, the seven-year-old boy started growling with his teeth showing and then his eyes rolled in the back of his head. The boy locked his hands around his older brother's throat and refused to let go until adults pried his hands open. Later that evening, Washington and registered nurse Willie Lee Walker brought the two boys into a small exam room for an interview. Campbell joined them. The seven-year-old stared into his brother's eyes and began to growl again. It's time to die, the boy said in a deep, unnatural voice. I will kill you. While the youngest boy spoke, the older brother started headbutting Campbell in the stomach. Campbell grabbed her grandson's hands and started praying. What happened next would rattle the witnesses, and to some, it would offer not only evidence, but proof of paranormal activity. According to Washington's original DCS report, an account corroborated by Walker, the nurse, the nine-year-old boy had a weird grin and walked backward up the wall to the ceiling. He then flipped over Campbell, landing on his feet, while never letting go of his grandmother's hand. He walked up the wall, flipped over her, and stood there, Walker told the star. There's no way he could have just done that. Later, police asked Washington whether the boy had run up the wall as performing an acrobatic trick. No, Washington told them. She said the boy glided backwards on the floor, wall, and ceiling, according to the official police report. 
Washington did not respond to the star's request for comment, but she told police that she was scared when it happened and ran out of the room. As for Walker, Washington said, he ran out of the room with me. We didn't know what was going on, Walker told the star. That was crazy. I was like, everybody's got to go. Finally, someone with a rational sense to them. According to Washington's report, they told the doctor what happened. The doctor, who did not believe them, asked the boy to walk up the wall again. Walker said he told the doctor he doubted the boy could repeat this feat. The kid was not himself when he did that, Walker said. The boy said he didn't remember what happened and couldn't do it, according to Washington's report. Walker, who said he previously believed in demons and spirits, thought the boy's behavior had some demonic spirit to it, but also was a result of a mental illness. I mean, people just don't walk up walls. I don't care how crazy you are. A police report quoted Washington saying he believed there could be an evil influence affecting the family. Eamon said she spent the night at the hospital with her seven-year-old son while Campbell took Eamon's daughter and older son to a relative's home in Gary. The next day was Eamon's youngest son's eighth birthday. Eamon said DCS officials asked Campbell to bring the older children back to the hospital, presumably to talk more about what happened. The family celebrated the boy's birthday by singing and eating a miniature cake. Then, Eamon said Washington told them that the children wouldn't be going home. DCS took the emergency step of taking custody of the children without a court order. All of the children were experiencing spiritual and emotional distress, Washington wrote in the DCS form. Amons told the star that she and her children cried because they didn't want to be separated. We had already gone through so much and fought so hard for our lives, she recalled. It was obvious that we were a team and we were beating it, whatever we were fighting. We made it through together as a team and they separated us. The Reverend Michael Magano, Maganot, Magano, I think it's Magano. I'm going to recall him. I think I called him Maganot earlier. I'm going to call him Magano going forward. So anyway, the Reverend Michael Magano was leading Bible study in his living room the morning of April 20th, 2012, when he received a call from a hospital chaplain. Magano had been a priest of State Stephen Martyr Parish in Merrillville for more than 10 years, but had never received a request like this one. The chaplain asked him to come and perform an exorcism on Amon's nine-year-old son. Magano agreed to interview the family after Sunday Mass a few days later. The first step, Magano said, was ruling out natural causes for what Amon's and her family said they were experiencing. He visited Amon's and Campbell in the Carolina Street home on April 22, 2012. For two hours, Amon's and Campbell detailed the phenomena for him, then Campbell interrupted the interview to point out the flickering bathroom light. The flickering stopped each time Magano walked over to investigate, which he attributed to a demonic presence. It must be scared of me, he later told the star he had thought. The interview was interrupted again when Campbell pointed out the Venetian blinds in the kitchen swinging even though there was no one there or no air current. Magano said he saw a few wet footprints throughout the living room. Amons complained about having a headache, and Magano said she convulsed when he placed a crucifix against her head. After a four-hour interview, Magano said he was convinced the family was being tormented by demons. He said he also believed that there were ghosts in the house. Magano blessed the house before he left, praying and reading from the Bible and sprinkling holy water in each room. He told Amons and Campbell to leave because it wasn't safe, 
and they temporarily moved in with a relative. But less than a week later, the two women were back on Carolina Street to let Washington, the DCS family case manager, check the condition of the home. Washington asked a Lake County police officer to come with her. Two other officers, one each from Gary and Hammond Police Departments, asked to join them out of professional courtesy. Amons refused to go inside, but Campbell agreed to accompany the group. Amons' kids were still all in DCS custody. The main floor had three bedrooms, a living room, one bathroom, hardwood floors, and a small open-style kitchen. A door in the kitchen led to a basement with concrete floors. Directly under the stairs was a dirt floor. The concrete around it was jagged, as though it had been broken. The makeshift altar that Amons had created was still in place, along with rings of salt she had poured against the basement walls to dissuade the demons, according to a Hammond Police Department report. Campbell told officers that demons seemed to emanate from beneath the stairs. Austin, the Gary police captain, was one of those officers. He later told the Star he believed in ghosts and the supernatural, but said he didn't believe in demons. Austin said he changed his mind after visiting the Carolina Street house. During the interview with Campbell, one of the officer's audio recorders malfunctioned, according to Austin and Hammond police records. The power light flashed to indicate that the batteries were dying, even though the officer had placed fresh batteries in the recorder earlier that day. Another officer recorded audio, and when he played it back later, heard an unknown voice whisper, Hey, according to Lake County police reports. That officer also took photos of the house. In one photo of the basement stairs, there was a cloudy white image in the upper right-hand corner. When an officer enlarged the photo, the cloud appeared to resemble a face. The enlargement also revealed a second green image that police say looked like a female. Austin said photos he snapped with his iPhone also seemed to have strange silhouettes in them. The radio in his police-issued Ford malfunctioned on the way home. Later, Austin said that the garage in his Gary home refused to open, even though the power was on and everything else was fine. Austin said the driver's seat of his personal 2005 Infiniti also started moving backward and forward on its own. He said he had the car checked at the dealership and the mechanic told him the motor in the driver's seat was broken, which the mechanic said could have caused a distraction, leading to an accident. Austin said he found himself starting to believe Amon's claims of paranormal activity, but the mental health professionals evaluating Amon's and her children remained skeptical. In April 2012, DCS petitioned Lake Juvenile Court for temporary wardship of the three children. The request was granted. DCS found that Amons neglected her children's education by not having them in school regularly. The agency made the same finding in 2009, its records show. Amons told Washington we were at times when she could not send the kids to school because the spirits would make them sick or they would be up all night without sleep. DCS temporarily placed her daughter and older son at St. Joseph's Claremont home in East Chicago. Amon's youngest son was sent to Christian Haven in Wheatfield for psychiatric evaluation. Clinical psychologist Stacy Wright, who evaluated Amon's youngest son, said the boy tended to act possessed when he was challenged, redirected, or asked questions he didn't want to answer. In her evaluation, Wright wrote that he seemed coherent and logical, except when he talked about demons. It was then that the eight-year-old stories became bizarre, fragmented, and illogical, Wright said. His stories changed each time he told them. He also changed the subject, quizzing Wright on math problems and asking her about outer space. Can you die if you go to outer space, he asked. 
How do you get to space? You have to wear a helmet and a suit? Wright believed that the eight-year-old did not suffer from a true psychotic disorder. This appears to be an unfortunate and sad case of a child who has been introduced into a delusional system perpetrated by his mother and potentially reinforced, she wrote in her psychological evaluation. Clinical psychologist Joel Schwartz, who evaluated Eamon's daughter and older son, came to a similar conclusion. There also appears to be the need to assess the extent to which Eamon's daughter has been unduly influenced by her mother's concerns that the family was exposed to paranormal experiences, Schwartz wrote. Eamon's daughter told Schwartz that she saw shadowy figures in her Carolina Street home. She also said that she twice went into trances. Eamon's older son told Schwartz that doors would slam and stuff would start moving around. Eamon's was also examined several times by psychologists, who said she was guarded, but did not seem to be experiencing symptoms of psychosis or thought disorder. One psychologist recommended Eamon's be assessed to determine whether her religion may be masking underlying delusional ideologies or perceptual disturbances. Eamon's and all three kids continued to insist that they were possessed by demons. DCS set goals for the family. One of them stipulated that the children not discuss demons and being possessed and take responsibility for their actions. They also needed to participate in therapy to address past behavior. While DCS officials credited Amons for sharing a close bond with her children, the agency also said she needed to use alternate forms of discipline not directly related to religion and demonic possession, according to the DCS case plan. Appropriate discipline including encouragement, rules, and withholding privileges. She could work on those goals during supervised visits with the children. Amons also had to find a job and appropriate housing due to the paranormal activity at the house at Carolina Street. While Amons worked on meeting those objectives, police and DCS officials continued to investigate the strange happenings in the house. Campbell, Amons, Austin, and the two other police officers from the initial visit went back to Carolina Street home on the afternoon of May 10th, 2012. The police officers visited after work hours. They were joined by Magano, two Lake County officers with a police dog, and DCS family case manager Samantha Lillick. Lillick, who was there in an official capacity, told the star she volunteered to go in Washington's place because Washington did not want to go back to that house. A county officer took his police dog around the home, but the dog didn't show interest in any particular area, according to Lake County police records. Everyone else headed to the basement. Willick touched some strange liquid she saw dripping in the basement and said it felt slippery yet sticky between her fingers. Magano told police he wanted to check the dirt under the stairs for a pentagram or personal objects that might have been cursed. He said a pentagram might indicate a demonic presence and possible portal to hell, according to the Lake County Police report. Or if someone had died in the house and was buried under the stairs, it could explain the paranormal activity, Magano added. One of the police officers dug a 4 by 3 foot hole beneath the stairs, unearthing a pink press-on fingernail, a white pair of panties, a political shirt pin, a lid for a small cooking pan, socks with the bottoms cut off below the ankles, candy wrappers, and a heavy metal object that looked like a weight for a drapery cord, police records state. Finding nothing else, the officers replaced the dirt and raked over it. Magano blessed some salt, which he said is a barrier to evil, and spread it under the stairs and throughout the basement. Lilick said that she was later standing in the living room with the rest of the group when her left pinky finger started to tingle and whiten 
She complained that it felt broken. Less than 10 minutes later, Ulick said she felt as if she was having a panic attack. She couldn't breathe, so she walked outside to wait for the group. When the priest started questioning Amons inside the house, she complained of a headache and shoulder pain, according to police records. She joined Lilik outside. Austin said he left the house at nightfall. Austin, who has been shot at and has investigated murders, rapes, and armed robberies during his more than three decades on the force, said he wasn't staying in that house past dark. The other officers continued to walk through the home. On the main floor, they noticed an oil-like substance dripping from the Venetian blinds in the bedroom, but couldn't figure out where it was coming from, police records state. To make sure Campbell and Amons hadn't poured oil on the blinds, two of the officers used paper towels to clean it off. The officers sealed the room for 25 minutes and stood nearby so nobody could walk in. When they walked back in, the oil had reappeared, according to reports. Magano had told the police that the liquid was a manifestation of a paranormal or demonic presence. He wrote a report detailing his findings and asked Bishop Dale Meselnik for permission to perform an exorcism on Amons. Magano said that Meselnik had never authorized an exorcism in 21 years as Bishop of the Diocese of Gary. Debbie Bosak, Director of Communications for the Diocese, said she could not comment on whether Meselnik had ever approved an exorcism for confidentiality reasons. In general, she said such an action would require a bishop's approval. Meselnik initially denied Magano's request to do a church-sanctioned exorcism. Magano said the bishop told Magano to contact other priests who have performed exorcisms. Magano said he needed other priests to give him the ritual for a minor exorcism, which does not require church approval. The priests he consulted told him to look it up on the internet. You really can find anything. He said he did an intense blessing on the Carolina Street home to expel bad spirits. That same day, Magano performed a minor exorcism on Amons. The ritual consisted of prayers, statements, and appeals to cast out demons. Two police officers and Lilick, the DCS family case manager, attended the ritual. Lilick said she left believing that something was going on, although she wouldn't go as far as to say it was demonic. She said she got chills during the nearly two-hour rite. We felt like someone was with you in the room. Someone was breathing down your neck, she said. Willick said she had a string of medical problems after visiting the home. A week after she visited the house for the last time, Willick said she got third-degree burns from a motorcycle. Within 30 days, she also broke three ribs jet skiing, broke a hand when she hit a table, and then broke an ankle running in flip-flops. I had friends who wouldn't talk to me because they believed that something had attached itself to me, Lilik said. Her joking response? I'm already evil. They try to find something that's not evil and corrupted. They wouldn't waste their time on me. After the minor ritual, Magnol told Amons to look up the names of the demons that were tormenting her. Each demon has a name and a personality, Magno said. A name has power, the priest added, and he planned to use those names to fight the demons during exorcisms. Amon said she and a friend looked up the demons' names online by searching for demons that represented the problems the family had been having. The computer kept shutting down. She said she felt sick, lightheaded. But she said she found the names that fit. One such name was Beelzebub, Lord of Flies. She also found names of demons that tortured and hurt kids, which she felt explained what had happened at the Carolina Street house. 
Eamon said that other high-ranking demons were also assigned to her, including lieutenants and sergeants. Wow, they have some sort of... Hmm, makes sense. After the minor rite, Magano said Bishop Maslenik gave him permission to perform the exorcism on Amons. The ritual is the same as a minor exorcism, but more powerful because it has the backing of the Catholic Church, Magano said. Magano ultimately performed three major exorcisms on Amons, two in English and the last one in Latin, in June 2012 at his Merrillville Church. During each visit, Magano said he praised God and condemned the devil. He pressed a crucifix against Amon's head as he spoke. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power in of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all of your fell companions, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I feel like I'm going to burst into flames. The two police officers who had kept in touch with Magano since the home investigation stood nearby in case Amon's needed to be restrained. Amon said she prayed with Magano until it became too painful. She said she felt as if something inside her was trying to hold on and inflict pain at the same time. She said it was different from a natural pain, but it felt as intense as giving birth. I was hurting all over from inside out, she remembered. I'm trying to do my best and to be strong. Eventually, Magano said Amons fell asleep. She said that was the demon's way of lessening the ritual's effect. In between the second and third exorcisms, Magano said he went on a retreat. A woman who assisted Magano with some of the exorcisms helped set up a backup plan just in case Amons had problems while Magano was gone. The woman wrote a long demon name, Magano said he can't remember which one it was, on a piece of paper and tucked it in an envelope. She then surrounded it with blessed salt. If Amons had problems, the woman would burn the envelope, Magano said. By this time, Amons and her mother had moved to Indianapolis, but they drove back for the exorcisms and court hearings as her children were still in DCS care. Magano said he blessed the family's new home to prevent more problems. But Amons called Magano while he was on his retreat, complaining of bad dreams, so the woman burned the envelope. She saved the ashes to burn later in a church bonfire. After that, Amons said her nightmares ended. In the final exorcism at the end of June of 2012, Magano said he prayed and berated the demons in Latin rather than English. Police officers did not attend, so Magano said his brothers stood guard. Magano said Amons convulsed while he was condemning the demons, but she did not convulse during the prayer. When she fell asleep, he said words of thanksgiving. It would be the last times Amons saw Magano. She and her mother drove back to Indianapolis, where they say they live now without fear. Amons' old home on the Carolina Street became an object of local curiosity. So much so that the owner and landlord, Charles Reed, called the Gary Police Department to ask officers to stop driving by the house because it was scaring the new tenant. He said there were never any problems in the home before or after Amons and her family lived there. I thought I heard it all, said Reed, who had been a landlord for 33 years. This one is a new one to me. My belief system has a hard time jumping over that bridge. When told of the Catholic Church's involvement in the situation, however, Reed said that made him less skeptical. Amons regained custody of her three children in November of 2012, about six months after they had been removed. DCS continued to check in on the children and make sure they were going to school until the case was finally closed. Amons called her children's return the happiest day of her life. She said they screamed and jumped up and down when she picked them up from DCS office in Gary. It was just awesome, Amons said. I hadn't been that happy in God knows how long. 
The children said they felt safe after they left their house on Carolina Street, said the family. The three left their demonic voices and complaints behind them. For her part, Eamon said it was not the psychologists who resolved her problems, but God. When you hear something like this, she said, don't assume it's not real, because I lived it. I know it's real. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History.